0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn in it or turn it on. That's how serious I am about you doing that. And this may be a shorter sermon because I'm not sure if I wet my pants right then. But but they're dark, so that's, that's the definition of happiness, right? You didn't know I knew that. Turn to Galatians chapter two. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, which may be safer because electronics you never know, it's on page 972. Uh, we don't know fully what Martin Luther thought when or what he expected when he made this list of 95 theses in Latin and put them on the church door in Wittenberg in 1517 on October the 31st. We know in part really what he wanted was an academic debate. We know he wanted that, but we don't know if he wanted more than that. Well, whether he did or not, thanks to the sort of the social media of his day, better known as the printing press, it became a huge thing. Literally, if you want to use the expression viral, his 95 theses went viral. Without him being aware of it, from what historians tell us, a German printer, because the printing press was a pretty new thing then, a German printer took the 95 theses, translated them into German so more people could read them, printed them, and sent them all across the country of Germany. And very quickly into 1518, the world at that time, or the leaders of sort of the world of Western Europe, became very, very focused on these 95 theses. Not just church leaders, but political leaders. This became a big deal. And at numerous points from 1518 on, the whole thing could have ended if Martin Luther just would have stood up and said, I was wrong, or I recant, or something. It all could have died down, but that's not really what played out. It seemed like the more he got pushed back because people questioned him, the more he pushed and things kind of kept going up and up and up and up and it became a bigger and bigger deal. Literally, world political leaders of the what we would know as the Holy Roman Empire were focused in on this issue. In April of 1521, so roughly three years, three years and a bit later, at an event called the Diet of Worms, and that's not a food thing, that's just what they would call it when they would gather together. At the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was given one more opportunity to recant, to say that his writings and all these things that he was promoting that were being translated into German and spread around were wrong. But in good conscience... He couldn't do that. And he made a famous speech, or we think he made a famous speech, and basically ended with saying, and here I stand. Well, in response to that, the 21-year-old Holy Roman Empire leader, Charles V, had to make a decree, had to take action. He had promised that Luther wouldn't be killed while he was there, but that didn't mean Luther wasn't under a death threat or corporal punishment later. What it did mean is that all of Luther's writings were to be burned. It was decreed by the political leader of the day. All of his writings would be burned. Luther was declared an outlaw. And it was written into law that if you helped Martin Luther in any way, you would face the death penalty. The actions of Luther and the conclusions of the Diet of Worms literally brought the country of Germany to the brink of civil war war that war held off but three years later it erupted all because it was still tied in this simple act all of a sudden became a huge thing and you'd kind of say why did it go that far i mean why did luther's defense get such a big deal i mean civil war death penalties i mean that seems a little extreme for something that's kind of churchy I mean, why did it go so far? Well, I think Martin Luther would tell us if the Gospels distorted, people get hurt. And so he had to go that far. Now, the skeptics inside us might say, you know, Luther, you kind of went too far. You didn't have to go that far. I mean, in terms of our culture, we might say, hey, you have the right to have a different opinion. You know, you you can have a different view of the gospel, but do you really have to make it that big of a deal? I mean, maybe to ask the question, maybe we need to look at the issue this way. What do you gain if the gospel's pure and true, and what do you lose if it's distorted? I mean, what really sort of is the issue? What do people gain? What do they lose if we distort the gospel? Well, Martin Luther would probably say, in his mind, what was at stake was hope and security that for people to have hope and security in life, the gospel had to be pure. If the gospel gets distorted, hope and security go away. Now, to be fair and to put what Martin Luther did sort of in historic context of why he put those up and why it became a big deal, is that historians would tell us that the reality of death loomed incredibly large at that point in the 16th century that death, in a sense, was almost knocking at everyone's door. It was always right there. It was too close. It could happen at any moment. And so the idea of needing hope and security was a pretty big deal. They were kind of desperate. They needed hope and security because they were going to go to an eternity at any minute. I mean, Martin Luther felt that in his own life, and certainly they saw that. They thought, I desperately need this. Well, what about today? What about the gospel now? You and I don't live in the 16th century. Thanks to medical advances, life expectancy just keeps going up and up and up. It's not a short-term thing. We've got a lot of it. And the truth is we live in a culture that sort of thinks, hey, we've protected ourselves against so many things that used to end people's lives. We, We can figure it out. We can fix any problem we can think. And so hope and security, we're like, my hope and security seems to be tied into my retirement account a lot of times. We think that's where it is. So, as long as the stock market goes up, I'm good. I mean, hope and security aren't the biggest deal today. And so, we can kind of say, maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's not that big of a deal if the gospel gets distorted. Well, I want to, I know I asked you to turn to Galatians 2, we are going to get to Galatians 2, but I just want to zoom back to kind of a big picture for a minute of the whole Bible and just ask you to think through some truths, because you and I can think, yeah, hope and security is not that big of a deal, but there are some issues that really are big deals right now in each of our lives. And I think the Bible paints it, and these are sort of four big truths I think need to shape us. Okay, so sort of a big idea, first big idea I just want to kind of remind you of is that we were created in the image of God. You and I, each of us. Okay? And to be created in the image of God means we were created to have a relationship with God. And in the context of that relationship, we are to carry out responsibilities for God. Another way to say that is you and I were made by God for a purpose. Okay? There is some significance to us. There's a purpose to your life. Second big truth, second big thing that I think needs to shape us and and inform us is that Adam sinned, okay? That's a huge truth we need to realize. Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, there's some ripple effects. One of the ripple effects of the fact that Adam sinned is that you and I are sinners by nature. You could say we're almost hardwired to sin. There's sort of a bent inside us that we go there. I mean, Carrie and I raised four kids, And we tried to teach them a number of things, but I noticed we never needed to teach them selfishness. Have you noticed that? You don't have to teach a kid to say, mine. They just seem to know that word. You don't have to teach it. We're bent that way. But not only are we sinners by nature, you and I make a lot of choices. You and I make a lot of choices that are Sinful choices. So Adam sinned, yes, but the ripple effect that's true in your life and my life today is we're sinners. Third truth, the third big thing to, to kind of keep in mind is that because we are sinners who live in a fallen world, there's two descriptions that, can be, that are true of us simultaneously, constantly. Okay, and those are simply this. We are separated, dead, those go together, and we're damaged okay, because you and I are sinners, we are literally separated from God. On our own, the Bible would say, on our own, just you and me before God, on our own before God, we are dead. We are spiritually dead. We're separated from Him. That marks our lives. That impacts us. But not only is that true about us, we are also damaged. See, sin does some things to us that aren't necessarily good, and so I'm looking out at you and, man, you've got issues. I've got issues. We've all got issues, okay? To realize that that is something that marks us. That should impact how I'm looking at life. Fourth big truth, though. Fourth big truth that really should mark us is that the incredible good news of the Bible is that because the Lord Jesus came, because he went to the cross and died in our place for our sins and rose again, he makes it possible for a dead person to become alive, for a separated person to be reconciled to God, and that happens when we trust Christ. But when we trust Christ, not only are we made alive, the other part of the truth that goes along with that is we're also made whole. See, if you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you hear the story of the gospel, very basic story. Jesus came, Jesus died. Why did he die? Because you and I are sinners. He died for our sins so that our sin could be dealt with. Then he rose again so we could be made alive. You hear that story and you turn and say, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to repent of my sin and put my trust in Christ. In that instant, God does something. He puts his spirit in your life. Not only does that, he connects you to what's known as the body of Christ. He connects you to the church. And he has this instrument called the word of God. And using the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, and God's word, God begins to do a processing work in our lives to make us whole. Okay, those are four huge truths. We should keep them straight in our minds. And I want you to understand this process work that God's doing right now is a now thing. Being made alive is a now thing. Not a future, right now. Now, I never want you to misunderstand me. The gospel does change eternity. I really do believe that. But the change, that eternal change, starts right now. That means if we distort the gospel now, if it gets distorted in your life or in my life, we get hurt now. Not someday in the future. We get hurt right now. And I don't think it's because I'm a wimp. But I don't think Anybody needs more hurt in their life than they already have. There is enough hurt that enters into life simply because we live in a fallen world. You and I do not need to add hurt to our lives because the gospel's distorted. Okay? Yes, in Martin Luther's day, they were scared to death because death was knocking at their door. The gospel couldn't be distorted because it could hurt them. But you know what? You and I may not live with that same fear of Death. But if the gospel gets distorted right now, we get hurt. Let's go to Galatians 2. In Galatians 2, Paul is kind of telling the Galatians again why they should turn away from the distorted gospel that's been offered them and why they should come back to the true, pure gospel that Paul and Barnabas had shared with them. And the way he does that, he's really going to tell them about three gifts Three gifts that the gospel gives us right now. Three things that should be true in our lives right now. But what I need us to understand is these three gifts, yes, are given to us. But that also means if the gospel gets distorted, these three gifts get distorted. And that's a problem. We need these gifts. We don't need the distortion. So let's walk through the three gifts. Gifts number one, what are these gifts? Gift number one is we get purpose in life. The gospel wants to give you and me purpose in life. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 read, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. Okay, Paul's kind of continuing what his connection with the apostles in Jerusalem was. We looked at this last week. He sort of started a defense of himself. He's kind of continuing it. And he said, hey, in verse 2, I was led by God to go to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what he's referring to. He might be referring to an event that happened at the end of Acts chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. We don't know for certain, but that might be. There was a revelation, and basically Paul and Barnabas, in response to that, went to Jerusalem. He may be saying that. And it almost seems that, well, since we're in Jerusalem, what we want to do is we want to have a, let's talk gospel with the Jerusalem apostles. Let's, let's do this. And the reason behind it seemed to be sort of Paul's motivation from the end of verse 2 seems to be he's kind of wondering, in a sense, he's kind of asking the question, is the gospel worth the investment of my life? Is what I am doing accomplishing something, or am I running in vain? Am I just spinning my wheels?" Now there's a big life question all of us need to answer and we probably face it and deal with it a number of different times in life and the question basically is why am I here? It's sort of the purpose question. Why am I here? What is my life supposed to be about? What am I supposed to be doing? Now think about this. If you and I were created by God to carry out responsibilities, okay, if that's true to, so to, so to speak, our, our DNA then there's probably a part of us that always is going to want a sense of, I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to be engaged in something. I think that's kind of where Paul's at in some ways. That's where you and I are. We want to know, what's the purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Now, God calls us to do a number of things in life. Okay, I I really hope and pray that the series that we did at the end of August, beginning of September on work, kind of expressed some of that, that part of the purpose we were made for was to work. Work is not a curse. Work literally is a gift from God to us so that we can be involved in producing good. One of the purposes of our lives, according to the Bible, is that we are to produce good. Now, that looks a little differently depending upon what your actual job is, but we're to do that. Okay, that's true for every person. But if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, and what we mean by a follower of the Lord Jesus is if you've turned from sin to God and you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have that purpose of your to do good, yes. But you also get a special purpose, an additional purpose. And that is God calls you, God invites you, God urges you to encourage other people to follow Jesus, okay? Let's hear that literally from the voice of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, okay? If you are a follower of Christ, you heard the story of Jesus coming and dying and rising again, and you respond to that story by trusting Christ, in that instant, you were given this incredible purpose of telling other people the same story. Okay, the gospel literally brings purpose to our lives one of the base needs you and i have in life is do i have a purpose and the gospel says yes you have a purpose it is to tell other people about jesus christ you have a purpose in life a couple of weeks ago this is actually related to our phone directory trying to get everyone to sign up we had phone calls made they do this funky phone system and so chuck Ham who, if you don't know Chuck, Chuck is one of our dear saints. If you need to tie in, Chuck is Doug's father, okay? But Chuck has some health issues that make it really, really hard for him to be here on a regular basis, okay? Chuck lives in a nursing home. And I have yet to meet any person who tells me my life ambition is to live in a nursing home, okay? Does anybody want to live there? No. It's kind of one of the last places you want to go because you kind of know if you're there, it's going to be your last place. You don't want to go there. But what was interesting in the conversation with Chuck about being in a place where he doesn't want to be is he told me even there he has a purpose. And his purpose is to tell the people, to tell the staff about the Lord Jesus. You see, even in the worst place in life, When you think there's no purpose, the gospel gives us a purpose. But if the gospel gets distorted in your life or in my life and we lose that, then what do we have? The gospel gives us a purpose. That's a gift for right now. Gift number two the gospel gives us. Not only does it give us a purpose in life, but it also gives us freedom. Look at verses 3 to 5 of Galatians 2. Okay, Paul shared the gospel with the Jerusalem leaders. It seemed to be a small meeting, most likely. And the only one in the room who's not been circumcised was Titus. So they're having this conversation about the gospel, and Titus has no pressure. No one's looking at him saying, get the knife. No one's saying that. There's no need for it. Now, verse 4 starts to tell us there are people who kind of wish they were in that conversation, in that private room, who have been in a lot of conversations beyond that saying, hey, that's not the case. If you're kind of wondering, well, what exactly were they saying? Well, Acts chapter 15 verse 1 kind of, I think, expresses what they wanted said in that meeting. These words. But there were some who came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? So to some, to these false brothers who spied out, Paul says, hey, to them, circumcision is a big deal. No circumcision, no salvation. Okay? That's what they're saying. Now, at this point, you might be saying, well, is that really a big deal? I mean... Let's do a, what do you call it, REI, return on investment opportunity. Is that something like that? That those of you in business, you can tell me if I got it right. Did I get it semi-right? Close enough. Now think about it. If all I have to do is get circumcised and then I know I'm saved, yeah, that's going to be a little uncomfortable. But think about the long-term benefit. And I mean, hey, if you're going to invest in anything, there's no pain, no gain, right? Right? I mean, no pain, but you get this amazing game. Well, before you buy into that mentality, I probably need to pull back and tell you a little bit more. See, if you submitted yourself to circumcision, you weren't just doing this circumcision thing. You were also then submitting yourself to follow all the law of Moses. So in essence what you were doing is to be saved. It wasn't just you got circumcised, but to be saved you always had to get all the commands of Moses right. So you go back to to Galatians chapter 2 verse 4 and you see Paul uses the word slavery and the reason he's saying slavery Is instead of you knowing that you have freedom, instead of you knowing that you've received Christ and your eternity is secure, you're saved, what they're really offering you is this system where you've got to constantly perform and always get it right, hoping you always get it right, hoping that if you get it right, you'll be saved. But you never know, you're kind of always teetering, you don't know. Please understand the freedom of Christ isn't about you and I performing hoping we're going to be saved. The freedom that Christ offers is when you and I trust Christ, we are saved. We don't have to perform and work really hard hoping that we'll get it right. We trust Christ and we're saved. That's the freedom. And Paul is saying don't go to that slavery. Live in the freedom you have in Christ. And when we talk about freedom and we say freedom, what are we talking about? That's an important question maybe we need to answer because this thing comes up again and again. What's this freedom thing about? Well, to help us answer that question, we probably need to hear what philosophers say. Okay? Philosophers define or describe freedom in two ways. Okay? One is what they call negative freedom. Okay? And negative freedom is being free from all constraints, sort of, I can do anything I want. Now I need to be really clear here. I'm not the one who used the word negative. Philosophers call that negative freedom. That's not Lloyd saying, well, this sounds bad. That's what philosophers say, which is about all I understand about philosophy, so we'll move on then. Okay? The second way they define freedom is what they call providence positive freedom. And positive freedom is the freedom to pursue some good aim. See, freedom isn't just, I can do whatever I want. No, we're given freedom so we accomplish something, so we can do something. Biblical freedom, when the Bible talks about being free, when Paul's talking about free in Christ, he's talking about positive freedom. Okay, where do you say, where do you you get that from? Well, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, which we'll get to as we go through this series, but I think it's a statement of positive freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Basically, don't use it as an opportunity to do whatever you want. Rather, or but, through love, serve one another. See, the gospel, what does the gospel do? The gospel gives me the freedom in that sense to do something, to do good. Now, to be very, very clear here, and and this will be more clear as we go through the rest of Galatians, but the good that you and I can do, because we have freedom, this good that we're supposed to do, isn't about us and our effort. It isn't about me trying really hard to do something good. The good ultimately that's gonna flow through our lives if you're a follower of Christ is because the Holy Spirit is in your life and the Holy Spirit is working to produce in you what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. And as you are being changed and transformed, the things that come out of you, the things that God empowers you to do because you're in a relationship with him, that's where the good comes from. It's not about you working hard. Okay, this isn't about work harder. This is about realize if you've trusted Christ in a relationship with him, God's working and moving in your life, join him in that and you produce good. Really quick question. Does your family, does your workplace, does your school, does your network of friends, do any of those need good? Do any of those need good? The gospel gives you and me the freedom to bring that good into all those places. The gospel gets distorted. Where is that good going to come from? Does it matter if the gospel gets distorted today? I think it really does because we need freedom to bring good. What does the gospel give us? The gospel today right now gives you hope, or it gives you hope and security, yes, but it also gives you purpose in life. It also gives you freedom. And gift number three, it also gives us unity. Let me make an obvious statement. There is an enormous amount of division in our country right now. Last week, I think I was in three or four conversations. I didn't bring up this issue of is our country divided. I just kind of listened and I heard it. We are more divided than we ever have been since the 70s, or more divided than we ever have been since the 60s, or somebody said we are more divided than we've ever been since the Civil War. Either way, it's not good. We're divided. That's not a good thing. We've got some issues, and you say, how can we come back together as a nation? Let me go on record and say very clearly, I don't think postings on social media are going to bring us together. I really don't. But when I read John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, when I read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, I kind of think God is telling us you want to come together. It's the gospel that brings unity. And that's kind of where Paul goes in the next chunk here. Okay, read with me verses 6 to 9. He's kind of telling, giving a report, so to speak. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw we had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Okay, Thanks to the false brothers that Paul talks about in in verse 4, there's sort of a sense in which maybe this was going to be a tense conversation. That maybe there was tension or even division. So Paul shares his gospel. And as he's sharing his gospel, they're all kind of like, we're talking about the same thing. I mean, in verse 6, he's saying these heavyweights, you know, the heavyweights of Jerusalem against Paul, they didn't add anything to it. They didn't say, Paul, you're missing this and this and that. No, nothing. In fact, verses 7 and 8, you kind of get the sense they realize they're sharing the exact same message just on different fields it's the same gospel just in different places and then in verse nine they shake hands now you know we live in a world where when leaders get together they're supposed to have shake hands and everybody takes pictures and you can kind of tell it pretty much seems to absolutely mean nothing other than we all want to see a picture of them shaking hands this is not a photo op hate shaking of hands Paul says it's the right hand of fellowship. And the right hand of fellowship is a biblical idiom. It's an idiom that basically is communicating we're friends and we're going to participate in life together on this mission. We're committed to this. And you say, what brought together these people that were doing very different things? What brought them together was the gospel. You see, if you long for unity, what you should really long for then is the pure, true treasure of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to bring us together? The gospel. But if the gospel gets distorted, unity's going to get fractured. And instead of problems being solved, we just add more and more and more problems. When unity is a part of life, the people of God, God's people, don't have to fight each other. Instead, we can be engaged in touching and bringing blessing to those around us. Look at verse 10, how Paul ends sort of this scene. Only then they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. They came together in unity. So now they had what? The freedom to do good. Isn't that an amazing thing? And if you read the Bible chronologically, and it's funky because the Bible's not laid out chronologically. So 2 Corinthians, the book that's to the left, the book before Galatians is chronologically after Galatians. But if you read 2 Corinthians and you read later parts of the book of Acts, you'll find out that what did Paul and the Gentile churches do? They gathered money to send to help the poor who were in the churches in and around Jerusalem. They ministered to a very real need. Here's the amazing thing. When the people of God are united, blessing comes. Blessing comes when the gospel's not distorted. Let me wrap this up. Should you and I care that Central gets the gospel right? I mean, should that cause us to lose any sleep at night? Huge truth to consider. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit call us to a reconciled relationship with him, to a reconciled relationship with the triune God, A relationship that is filled with hope and security. A relationship that's filled with purpose, with freedom, with unity. God says, I want this for you, and I want this for you right now. That's meant to be in your life. But here's the rub. If Central distorts the gospel, or if you and I individually distort the gospel in our lives, people will get hurt. People won't know purpose. People won't know freedom. People won't know unity. People won't know hope and security. Folks, we need to get the gospel right. The only hope of the world is found in Jesus Christ. And when we are the people where God calls us to be, when we are around the true gospel, the enormity of what can happen is amazing. Mike has told me I need to talk on occasion a little bit more about being a grandfather. I'm a grandfather. I'm that old. But here's the reality. Does Central need to get this right? Yeah, because my grandkids need to come to Christ. And if you look at how Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, please hear these words, the end of it, the end of the verse. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I'm going to guess every single person in this room knows somebody that doesn't know Christ. If we distort the gospel, how are they ever going to hear? If we preserve the gospel, now they have an opportunity to receive the incredible blessing of Christ. Let's get the gospel right let's pray father thank you for the incredible hope that you offer us we desperately need it just like we desperately need your security we fooled ourselves sometimes into thinking we don't need those but we do but beyond that, Lord, you made us to want and to need purpose. And in the gospel, you give it. And you give us freedom. And in a world that is fractured, you make unity possible. Father, may we receive from you all those things. And that means we've got to get, keep the gospel straight in our heads, in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions please do not let us distort the gospel. Please let us join with Paul and cling and fight for the gospel, that it would be preserved so that those that don't know Christ would truly have an opportunity to hear the good news. In the very precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.